you're joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Matthew Brown, and I serve as our digital engagement pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're on week three of our series, Eyes on Jesus. Throughout these past few weeks, we've been learning about why we worry and how we can look to Jesus in our times of stress and fear. In today's message, we'll be looking at some of the healthiest ways we can deal with stress while keeping Christ at the center. We're glad you're here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Good morning, church. My name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills. And we'll be continuing our series, Eyes on Jesus, today. And today we're gonna talk about stress. And I'm gonna start by talking about Alice in Wonderland for a second. And I, I kinda, I don't feel like I have to give you a spoiler warning because I feel like you've had enough time. 1951 is when Alice in Wonderland came out, so I don't want any emails about spoiler warning. So at the beginning of Alice in Wonderland, you see Alice and she's seeking something different. She wants a different world, what she calls a wonderland. She doesn't like the present state of things and she wants something different. And to find that something different, she follows a white rabbit down a hole into her so-called wonderland. And commentators have said for a long time since the book and movie came out that part of our human experience is identifying with Alice. That in a sense, we're all Alice. We're all looking for some wonderland and we're willing to follow any white rabbit to find it. And I would agree that in some sense that is true, that we are looking for something different and we're willing to follow all kinds of things in our life. But I think there has been a switch where I would argue we no longer in our human experience identify mostly with Alice, that we now more identify with the right white rabbit himself. Let me read to you the song that the white rabbit sings to Alice, and it goes like this. Maybe you've heard part of it before. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. I'm late, and when I wave, I lose the time I save. My fuzzy ears and whiskers took me too much time to shave. I run, and then I hop, hop, hop. I wish that I could fly. There's a danger if I dare to stop, and here's the reason why. I'm overdue, I'm in a rabbit stew. Can't even say goodbye, hello, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. When you think about the white rabbit, what you see from him is a stressed out creature who identifies with this general anxiety about him. He is overpaced, he is overdue. You see that in his, the way that he's late. He has overcommitted himself and I believe that we identify more with the white rabbit because as you hear those words, maybe you hear your own story in that. Maybe you hear your own stressors in your life. Maybe you hear your own anxiety in the story of the white rabbit because what the white rabbit is, 
He doesn't lead Alice to Wonderland. He leads Alice to a place of chaos and madness. And I believe for us in the church today as followers of Christ, what the world needs is not leaders leading people to chaos and madness, stressed, overworked, overpaced individuals leading people to chaos and madness. What the church needs is leaders of non-anxious presence, of peace and courage and confidence in times of chaos. And you may be asking yourself, Jacob, I don't know if I'm a leader. Well, we all have circles of influence where our voice matters. We all have circles of influence where our voice matters, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your neighborhood, whether it be in the organization that you lead or that you're a part of, we all have a place where our voice matters and what those places need is strong Christian voices of non-anxious presence. And what I would say to you is hopefully from the counsel of God's word today, he will show us how to take those steps towards being a non-anxious presence. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter five, starting in verse seven. This is what the word of God says. It says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you may be like, Jacob, I thought we were talking about stress, but what I would say is these two are intertwined in the cause and effect of the other, and we're gonna be looking at both. We're gonna start with anxiety and work our way back to stress. But when you see a passage like this, maybe when you see this, your heart leaps because God wrote it for you, and you see that, and you're like, I do have anxiety that I need to cast on him that I feel that verse in my bones because of the way my life feels right now. But a question we need to ask ourselves when we're studying any part of scripture is, what did the biblical author intend when he originally wrote it and who was he writing it to and why did they have anxiety? Because scripture would tell us that there's nothing new under the sun, that anxiety is not something new to our present culture but has existed since the beginning of mankind. So how, what type of anxiety did they have in 1 Peter? What were they looking at? So Peter was writing to the Gentiles at the time in the early church, and he's telling them, do not be anxious, that you should cast your anxiety. But what type of anxiety would they have? Well, if you look at 1 Peter chapter one, he says who he's writing to. He says, I'm writing, and different translations say this a little differently, I'm writing to the exiles. I'm writing to the strangers in the world. I'm writing to the aliens in a foreign land. And what he's talking about here is not that they were actually dispersed, not that they were actually exiles, but they were spiritual exiles, spiritual pilgrims, that they were living in a land where they felt like they were different, that they were alienated, and it was because of them following Jesus that they lived in a world that was so antithetical to what Christians believed and what they practiced that they felt like exiles to the point that it created in them anxiety about persecution and they were worried. And what Peter tells them is, do not be anxious. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So they had these stressors in their life that they couldn't avoid and it was producing anxiety in them. So what does that mean for us? And I think a good way to explain it is this. This is the Hoover Dam. And at the Hoover Dam, you have all this water that's building up on the Hoover Dam. And the Hoover Dam was designed to have a certain amount of stress on it, a certain amount of pressure. 
In fact, it can take 45,000 pounds of pressure is what it's designed to hold. But if it goes above that 45,000 pounds of pressure, you know what happens? The stress becomes too much and what would happen is the water would overrun and what would happen would be chaos and madness. So they know that it can only take 45,000 pounds of pressure so what they do is find ways to cast and release that pressure off with gates and valves so it stays at the right amount of pressure. And what they do with that pressure, then the stress doesn't become de-stressed, instead it becomes a good thing and the pressure at 45,000 pounds then produces a good thing which is electricity. And this is what's true of us. We are human and we have limits. Just like the Hoover Dam has a certain amount of stress that it can take before chaos and madness sets in, and the same is true of you and I. We are human, and the thing that makes us human, part of our human experience is that we have limits. And despite what the world is telling you that you can do anything, that if you work hard enough and you can try hard enough, God tells us that we are human and we have limits, and in fact, those limitations is what makes us true that we are human and that he is God. And that in those limitations is God most wants to meet us. But we can step back and say, you are God and I am not. That I know that there's only a certain amount of stress I can take, there's only a certain amount of work I can do, there's only a certain amount of pace of life that I can sustain without collapsing. I remember the first 5K I ever ran, I was so confident, I went out and I was, I was probably busting a seven minute mile right off the bat, I'd never done it before, I just went out there and I remember somebody telling me, are you gonna be able to keep this pace? No doubt, sure. One mile in, it's like, because I was overpaced. And maybe that's how some of you feel today, I know at times I feel the same way, that I'm overpaced, that I've gone past my limitations. But what I would hope you see today in God's word that he gives us ways to navigate that stress in our life. So let's do it like this. Let's talk about two types of stress. First type of stress is de-stress. And when we talk about I'm so stressed out and we feel stressed in our life, what we're talking about is de-stress. That stressors in our life become de-stress. So at the, at the Hoover Dam, when it becomes too much, it becomes de-stress and distress starts to wear away at the Hoover Dam and they have to work on it in such a way. In the same way, when we have stress in our life and it becomes too much, it becomes de-stress and it begins to wear on our physical, mental, and spiritual health. This is de-stress over time that is bad for us. And then there's eustress, which is good stress, the type of stress that has a positive outcome on the other side, like 45,000 pounds of pressure on the Hoover Dam creates electricity. It is the right amount of stress. When you work out, you put stress on your heart. And what does it do? It strengthens your heart. That is good stress with a good outcome. And I think some of this in our life, we'll see that we have avoidable stress and unavoidable stress. But what God wants us to do is see and avoid the de-stress and move towards you stress. So let's ask the question like this. What gives you the most stress? So think about the last time you were the most stressed. What was it that was causing it? 
and you have a blank there on your piece of paper, there's a spot online to fill this out. What gives you the most stress? When you think about your most stressful time, what gives you the most stress? Just think about it for a second. I know for me, there's moments where my stress is higher, and I think a, a good scenario to picture how I get stressed is if all three of my kids are at the same time, two of them fighting, one of them crying, and then I try to answer a work email at the same time. That's when my stress comes out. Um, and in my head, it may not come out physically, but there is madness and chaos going on up here during those moments. But you have to be able to sit and identify, okay, where is the stress in my life? And is it unavoidable stress or avoidable stress? And what I mean by that, there's unavoidable stress, like you have to work and get your job done. That is unavoidable stress. You have to parent your children. Those are, that's unavoidable stress. And then there's avoidable stress, stress that's caused by decisions you made of taking on too much, trying to do too much, trying to live beyond your limitations as a human and overpacing yourself. That is avoidable stress. So what type of stress? What gives you the most stress? It may be the world, it may be the culture, it may be work, it may be your family, whatever it is, it is something powerful to name it and say, this is what's causing my stress. But then you have to ask the question, how do I respond to that stress? And it may be one of four ways. The first one may be this, apathy. Maybe when stress comes, you stop caring. And you run to apathy when the stress is at the highest. Or maybe you go to anger. That when you're most stressed, you become more of an angry person. And you may take that out on the people you work with. You may take it out on your family. Or it may just be rage that's kept inside that you wrestle with on your own. So you could respond with apathy. You could respond with anger. Or maybe you respond with anxiety. That when stress comes, you begin to be overcome with anxiety. And you're worrying about all the possible negative results that could happen from this stress on you. Or it could be the other A all of the above. And you could sometimes struggle with anger, sometimes struggle with apathy, sometimes struggle with anxiety, and then sometimes all together in one feeling. But the reason why I think it's good to at least name the problem here is because at the end of all this, the thing that's gotta be the most convicting to us is this, that a stressed leader will struggle to be a loving leader. And what I mean by that, if we all have circles of influence where our voice matters, that if we are overcome by stress and we are overworked and overpaced, we will struggle to be a loving leader where our voice matters. Example, when I am the most stressed and I'm trying to work on something and one of my sons comes to me and asks me something, my response is, son, I can't, I can't worry about that right now. I can't be a loving parent to him. I can't lead him in a loving way when I'm overcome with stress. Because we become like the white rabbit, that we, we can't stop, we have to go, go, go. I cannot say hello, I cannot say goodbye, I can't do any of those things when sometimes the people around us, the thing they need most is a hello, a goodbye, and a wave. But a loving leader is also a listening leader. And when you're stressed and overworked and overpaced, you cannot listen at the level that a loving leader. And you could replace this and say, a stressed parent will struggle to be a loving parent. A stressed boss will struggle to be a loving boss. All of these things 
are true that when we are fully stressed, we cannot be the fullness of what the people need around us. And as we look at how does this affect us mentally, physically, and spiritually, we're gonna take a second and hear from one of the leading voices on mental health in our community, Amy Alexander. So let's look to the screen for a moment. Hey guys, I'm super pumped to be sitting here with Amy Alexander. She's the executive director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, but not only that, she goes to Rolling Hills, her family's involved, Dan's her husband. So it's, it's so good to be sitting down uh, with you to talk about such a big issue that we're facing. So here's kind of the first question to get us in in this. What's the state of mental health in today's society right now? So statistically, Pre-pandemic, about 25% of Americans were dealing with a mental health concern. Now let's just stop to define that. I think for a long time there's been a tremendous amount of shame and stigma around mental health. So we thought of that as someone who is having mental health problems, a mental health breakdown. And we kind of went, yeah, those people over there need help. But mental health is really just our way of handling stress. It's the way we relate to one another. It's that little voice inside our head that's been talking to us for as long as we can remember. And for some people, that's a voice that says, I'm unworthy or I'm powerless or it was my fault, I'm a failure. And it's our relationship to that voice that defines our mental health. So mental health is something we all have. But right now, as a result of the prolonged uncertainty and yeah. stress that we have faced, mm -hmm. we really have seen an increase in things like anxiety, depression, grief and loss, mm -hmm. um, substance abuse, increased uh, daily drinking, eating disorders, self-harm, wow. those sorts of things. Wow. Um, tell us what you guys do, what you offer. Sure. Well, the Refuge Center was started in 2005. My dear friend Jennifer Gillette and I co-founded the organization 16 years ago. And we have grown and grown and grown. It was really our heartbeat that no matter what someone was struggling with, what they'd done, what had been done to them, where they lived, what their story was, mm -hmm. that they could come to Refuge and find a place of affordability, excellence, and true healing and care. So we have about 70 counselors now. We provide about 33,000 counseling sessions. We work with ages four on up into the 80s. So there's really not a lot we don't do. That's amazing. And we're grateful for the work that you do in our in our community. And today, as a part of this series, Eyes on Jesus, we're focusing on stress. So give us uh, just a few things on tips, best practices, the way we manage stress. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to talk about something called the window of tolerance. So we all have a window. And when we are in that window of tolerance, we're functioning at our best. We're we can be reasonable and rational and make good decisions. When we fall below the window of tolerance, we find ourselves to be lethargic, overwhelmed, unmotivated. When we fall upwards out of that window of tolerance, we're anxious, panicked, overwhelmed, even manic at times. We know that stress and trauma shrink the window of tolerance. So all of our windows have been shrunk. Our grace tanks have been running low and our ability to cope has been outweighed by some circumstances that we were just not prepared for. So I think it's really important to recognize that we all need strategies to recalibrate. And it's not the same for every person. What you're navigating will require
require a different tool at times than mine will. I, I kind of can't overemphasize the importance of movement though. Stress does live in our bodies. It gets trapped at the cellular level. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk wrote, the body keeps the score, would say immobility is at the root of trauma. Mm. It's not just the thing that happened to me, it's the fact that I felt powerless in that moment. So we need to move our bodies to be reminded of their agency, to remind our bodies I am strong, I can change this. So I just sort of can't emphasize movement enough. Move and pray at the same time. Go on a walk and pray. And there's a lot of neuroscience behind why that works. But I'd love to give four tips for our church today about things that you can do. This is something I've been talking with our team about all year, and it's four ways to get radical. Because we're in radical times, we've got to match that with getting radical. So the first thing is radical boundaries. So Brene Brown did some research and found that the most compassionate people were the people that had the best boundaries, which I think was surprising research. But why is that? Well, because when you said no a lot, there's more internal space to be kind to other people. So radical boundaries means um, saying no more often right now because our margins are thinner. It means doing less than we used to, and all of those things are okay. The second thing I wanna talk about is radical adventure. This is really important to me. This is a huge part of my self-care plan, but when life weighs in heavy, sometimes we need to get away to the mountains, to a stream, to an ocean, and we need to go look at how big God is. Look at his majesty, and it's this visceral understanding of, I'm not in charge, I don't carry this on my shoulders, look at God. And our bodies have to be reminded of that. The third thing is radical rest. So if you used to take a 15 minute power nap on Sundays and that was enough, we've been through a lot, it may not be sufficient in this time. So give yourself permission to rest longer, to rest deeper, to take retreats, sabbaticals, silent retreats, whatever may be needed. And then finally is radical connection. And we just need people more than we ever have. We've been tremendously isolated. And that's not gonna happen accidentally. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this idea around not just church around a stage, but church around a table. So find a few people that you see every Sunday and ask them for dinner. It's, it's getting brave, it's being courageous, but seek out intentional relationships. And it's, it's what the church really needs right now. The church really needs um, a place to be real, a place for people to be honest and open and for it to be safe to do that. That's awesome. And we know there's a lot going on with you guys. We're praying over you, praying for the refuge that God will provide and give strength and boldness. And so thank you guys so much. Amy, we appreciate you. So thankful for Amy and the Refuge Center, what they do for Rolling Hills Church and what they do for our community. And as you've been listening to me today, or you listen to what Amy and Chase were talking about, and you're just at a place where you just feel too overwhelmed to take a next step. The Refuge Center is a great resource for you to reach out to them, uh, find somebody to talk to, or if you're a place dealing with trauma that you've never dealt with in the past or you're trying to deal with right now, they are a great resource for you on that. And as we finish this passage and look at it, I would say that what God's gonna show us to the rest of this passage echoes everything that Amy and Chase just talked about. And the first one is this, that in this passage we're studying, it says, cast all anxiety on him because he cares for you. It says, cast all anxiety on him when he cares for you. And what that means is this. You know, as I, as I come to you today, I, I don't come to you with somebody who's not struggled with anxiety. In fact, anxiety has been a big part of my past and something I've struggled with on a, on a heavy, heavy level. In fact, stress is something that I have to navigate because I do not deal with stress well. And I have to have ways to biblically manage those things. 
So when I hear the passage of saying, cast your anxiety on him, the thing I focus on is where it says all. That means cast your past anxiety on him. Any anxiety you've had in the past, if you struggled with, the Lord is saying, I love you, cast and release that to me. Or any present anxiety you're struggling with right now, the Lord is telling you today, right now, cast that anxiety and release it to him. And at the same time, he says, cast your future anxiety. Because what we're trying to do is deal with stressors in our life in a biblical way to where that future possible anxiety never gets there because we deal with it and release the valves and release the gates and release the anxiety on him before it ever becomes that. You know, I recently went to Arizona to meet with one of our church planners and I went to the Grand Canyon because we're sending a mission team to help plan a church. One of our church partners, former intern in Arizona and at the end of the trip at spring break, the whole team's gonna go to the Grand Canyon so I went there for the first time and I walk up to it and I've never seen anything more aptly named than the Grand Canyon. It was grand, I mean, I, I don't, couldn't think of another word. And when I walk up to it, just the massiveness, I was overcome by the glory of God and his creation, but just the massiveness of what I looked at. And I was showing the picture to my sons, and I said, here, I'm taking this picture on the south rim, but this is the north rim up there. And he, my son was like, people go to the north rim? And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, how do you get there? He was like, that seems like a really massive thing to do. How could you get to the other side? And I showed him a picture of the trail and I said, you take one step at a time. And maybe today as we're talking about stress and anxiety and trauma and all these things, you look at it and it feels like the Grand Canyon to you. What I would counsel you to hear today is it all starts with taking a first step. And we're, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list that scripture gives us here in First Peter to take some first steps. So what these are are biblical steps to manage or navigate stress. And the first one's this, humility. That the first step to managing stress is humility. So we're studying in verse seven. If you look in verse six, this is what the word says. Humble yourself, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So before he tells us to cast our anxiety on him, Peter tells us to humble ourselves. That in all humility, humility we come before God and say this. It's what we said before, that I am human, that I have limits, and I cannot do everything. But Lord, you can. That you are God and I am not. That the world will still spin without me. In fact, we preach that truth every time we go to sleep at night. And we say, the world still spins without me. Because when we get overcome with stress, it's because we think we can do everything and that we have to do everything, that if this doesn't get done by me, it will never get done. And our pride takes over and we think that if it's not for us, nothing will get done. Well, humility says that I need you, God, and I can't do it all. In fact, humility says, not only do I need you, God, I need people around me to talk about my stress with, to talk about my anxiety with. It's humble enough to say, God, I need you, and to say to others, I need you as well. So the first step is humility. And the second step is this, watchfulness. Watchfulness. In the verse after the one we're studying, it says this. Be alert and of sober mind, or your translation may say, be watchful, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to 
devour. So scripture's telling us to be watchful. Be watchful of who the enemy, we're like, what does the enemy have to do with this? Corey Ten Boom said one time, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. That he will consume our life with stress. Because here's the thing, the thing the devil hates most is love. And the thing we struggle to do the most when we're stressed is love. So it says, be watchful and of sober mind because the enemy is prowling around. He wants you to be watchful. So how do we watchful? The first thing I would say is this, be watchful in prayer. In the moment when Jesus could have been the most stressed on the night before the cross, when he had the weight of literally the whole world on his shoulder, what was the step that he took? He went to his knees in prayer. He knew his heart, he was watchful over his heart and went to the knees and said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But your will be done, not mine. He humbled himself in prayer. And if we can stop and have these moments where the stressors are coming before we respond to, and even after we may have responded poorly, to go to the Lord and rest in prayer. And the second one is this, and this is echoing what Amy said, that being watchful over our time. And this is being watchful and, and keeping the avoidable stressors out of our life and being able to have the courage to say no. I know, I, I feel like I need to do this, but I know my heart, I know my life, I know my family, I need to say no to more things. I need to protect my time, I need to have boundaries to focus on the things that are most important to us. To be watchful over our time. And third, to be watchful over our input. And I think this is the difference between us and the early church because the difference is we both struggle with anxiety and different types of suffering. The difference is we have an overload of information on us. I would say that we have so much information coming at us that our hearts aren't meant to bear that much information. That when we consume and consume and consume what the world offers, we become weary and stressed and burdened by it. To where we look at being watchful over the input in our life that too much information becomes to wear on our souls. That we look at social media so much and we see so many things on social media that we, that we wouldn't have seen before. And we wonder why we're stressed while we're watching the world fall apart in real time. A couple years ago, I deleted Twitter because I got to a point where I was looking at the comments and I realized that I was walking away stressed every time I looked at it because I was peeking back in the world and seeing chaos in real time and I figured out my heart could not handle it. So I deleted it. And I look at Instagram and Facebook every morning and say, are you, is it today that I'm gonna delete you? <laughs> but I'm still praying over it. I try to minimize and be watchful over my time on it. But you can ask yourself when you're looking at social media next time, is this beneficial for me, what I'm looking at? Is it causing stress in my life? Is it causing anxiety? What is this causing? And then the news. You watch the news and everything is breaking news. Nothing is breaking news anymore because everything's breaking news. But what they're really trying to do is break into your life. That's why they keep alerting you this breaking news because they want to break into your life. And you have to ask yourself, do I need to know that a squirrel water skied again? I'm not sure, but what does your input look like? Because at the end of the day, when you look at the input of things in your life and your input of Netflix, the news and social media outweighs your input of God's word, then there's an imbalance. And imbalances create malnutrition. And the last one's this, 
Oh. Is resistance. Biblical step is resistance. Look at the next verse, verse nine. It says this, resist him, talking about the devil, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering that we are to resist. And what does that mean in a culture that is a fast paced, never stop, always working, go, go, go culture, for us as followers of Christ to stop is to resist. When the river is flowing this way, like a strong rock in the middle, we stop and say no. That as for me and my family, we worship the Lord, not the culture of consumerism, not the culture of overworking, the culture of success. We don't worship those gods, we worship the Lord. Because in fact, God gave us the command to stop. He gave us the command to rest. Back to the white rabbit. What does he say in the song that he sang earlier? He said, there is a danger if I dare to stop. He's got such an overpaced, anxiety-ridden life that he knows that there's a danger if he dares to stop. But what God tells us is there's a danger if you don't. That's why he gave us the command to rest when he said, Sabbath. And the Sabbath literally means to stop. And when God gave this command, it was to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and Egypt was defined by work seven days a week, all day long, worship the gods of work. We work to worship these gods. So the culture they were coming out of was a never-ending, unstopping pace of work. And what did God say is, I give you out of that the gift of rest. In the book, Sabbath as Resistance, Walter B., as I like to call him, uh, says, Sabbath becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. That when we stop, and as a family, as individuals, we don't just stop so we can, uh, we wanna take naps. Like Amy said, we need actual rest in our life. We stop in Sabbath every night when we sleep, but also just stopping and saying with all humility that the world can spin without me and stopping and resting in God. And when we rest in God, we're resting for God for the work that he has for us. So what does all this mean that we come to the Lord with humility, that we're watchful over our hearts with prayer and over our time and over our input and we're watchful over these things and we're gonna resist the culture as falls of Christ, we're gonna stand up and say, as for me and at my house, we serve the Lord, not the God of work, not the God of time, not the God of overpaced anxiety. We serve the God of rest. And when God says in this verse, cast all your anxiety on him, you know what he says? He said, because I care for you. And that could be just a soothing words to your heart that God cares for you so much that he wants you to release all of your anxiety on him. Because what the world needs is not Christians that are also crippled by stress. What they need is non-anxious presence. I'm gonna say it like this. In a culture of fear, chaos, and anxiety, we must be, as Christians, as the church, a non-anxious presence of peace, confidence, and courage. 
that in our circles of influence, the place where our voice matters, what those people need more than anything, that people of peace and courage and confidence, a non-anxious presence. Recently, my son was sick last week. It was just a cold, uh, but he wouldn't take his medicine. And he kept crying more and more. My wife and I kept getting louder, seeing if that would work. And we we're increasing the volume. And we became an anxious. You need to take this. You're not going to get well unless you take this. And it was just this, it was chaos. But then the Lord impressed on me that I'd already written down these words. And I said, well, let me try to be a non-anxious presence. So I walked over to my son and I said, son, do you know that I love you? Yes, dad. Do you know that I care for you? Yes, Dad, you know that I would not ask you to do anything that would hurt you. That what I'm trying to do now is make you well. I want you to be healthy. And the t- he wiped his tears away and he took the medicine. And that's what God's telling us here today. That I want you to be healthy. That I want you to be well. That I want what's best for you. I don't want you to be anxious. What I want for you to find peace in me and go and be that peace, courage, and confidence to others. Because what a gospel witness is to be a non-anxious presence in a culture of fear, chaos, and anxiety. Because as we fix our eyes on Jesus, he is the perfect picture of courage in the chaos, of confidence in the chaos, of peace in the chaos. And like every great military strategy, over time there is a ground troops And then you see a general on a horse that as he's leading into battle, you can always look and see the peace. You can always see the confidence. You can always see the courage that in the moment of the chaos, when the war begins, you have that leader, that perfect picture of peace, which is Jesus. And then we turn and we're the perfect picture of peace to those around us. As we close today, if you're helping with our prayer time, if you can move to the sides at this time, and this is what I would compel you as we go into prayer. If you're at a place where you just need a non-anxious presence in your life, you need someone to pray with you, you need someone to care for you and show you that Jesus cares for you, or you just feel overwhelmed and need to pray, there are people on the side that came here today to do that with you. Or you're here today and you're like, as you talk about peace of the Messiah, as you talk about Jesus, I don't think I've ever truly met Jesus before. These people will pray with you and help you make that decision today to Follow a leader that cares for you, that loves you, and that literally died for you. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the ability to sit in your word. That no matter what our life looked like when we walked into this room, if it's chaos waiting for us on the outside, that we could come and be in your presence, Lord, to find peace in who you are, Lord, and hear the truth that you came that you died and loved us enough to not only take our sins on you, but take all our struggles as well, to take our stress, to take our anxiety, to take our depression, to take whatever we're dealing with. You call us to cast that on you because your everlasting arms can carry it. That we come here today with all humility to say that you are God, we are not. And we're thankful that you love us and that you never stop working for our good and your glory. And we ask this in your name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. 
where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.